Recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink. This is Yahweh's Covenant People. It's July 31st, 2010. Eli James will not be here tonight. He'll be back tomorrow at noon. He has the night off, and, and I'm going to discuss adultery and fornication, where the lines just aren't so clear-cut. Many people, and, and I'm guilty of this too, assert that the word adultery in the Old Testament means race mixing. And I would still assert that that is true, of course, although it is not to be told from the definitions of the word where we see adultery used in the King James Version as those Hebrew corresponding Hebrew words appear in Strong's Concordance or in Jesenius' Hebrew lexicon. For that reason, and for the way in which the word is used in some biblical contexts, it is very easy for a scoffer or a doubter to refute the assertion that the word is used to describe race mixing. So here we shall do a study of this word and some other words which are necessary to gain an understanding of the difference between adultery and fornication, if indeed there really is one. But let me cite some common, some verses common to um, extramarital relations that, that the scoffers love to point at because they, they define adultery and they do, but they really only define one facet of the word adultery. So they can't be used alone to define the word once we discuss everywhere that it's used in the, in the New and the Old Testaments. Exodus 20:14, thou shalt not commit adultery, the Ten Commandments. It's quoted in Romans 13, Luke 18, Mark chapter 10, Matthew chapter 19, and Deuteronomy 5:18 is repeated. Proverbs 6:32, but whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. Jeremiah 29:23 Because they have committed villainy in Israel and have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives and have spoken lying words in my name which I have commanded them even I am a witness says Yahweh So we see in Jeremiah 29:23 adultery is defined as committing something that you commit with your neighbor's wife Matthew 19:18. I'm sorry, that's the Ten Commandments again. The concept of neighbor used here will be discussed later. There are many other things which must be covered first. And now in the same manner, we see the word adultery is used in the New Testament as an illicit relationship of one man with another's wife in the following verses. Matthew 5:27 to 32. You have heard it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman, and that word is gune, which usually indicates a woman of age, assumed to be or to have been married. Whoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her, has committed adultery with her already in his heart. It has been said, Whoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. 
But I say unto you that whoever shall put away his wife, except or saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever shall marry her that is divorced commits adultery. So we see that sex is with somebody other than your original spouse. Matthew 5, 27 to 32. Matthew 19, 9. And I say unto you, whoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and we'll talk about fornication also, and shall marry another, commits adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, commits adultery. That's a repeat of Matthew chapter 5. Mark seven twenty through 21. And he said, That which comes out of the man defiles the man, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders. We see adultery and fornication are distinguished here. Mark ten eleven to 12. And he saith unto them, Whoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she commits adultery. So we see that the word adultery is indeed used of married people who sleep, have sex with others, even others of their own race or tribe. Therefore, adultery is not always race mixing in the New Testament or the Old, as we saw in Jeremiah chapter 29. In the New Testament, it is often distinguished from the word fornication, as we just saw in Mark 7. For these reasons, it is difficult to convince the average Christian that it can also mean race mixing. And therefore, now we will do a study of passages where it appears in that context also, and where it certainly can be shown to mean race mixing. Adultery is also clearly connected to harlots, harlotry, and whoredom, or idolatry as a euphemism for these things, as we shall see. These passages will make it evident that the word adultery means more than simply sleeping with thy neighbor's wife, as we have seen the word used in the aforementioned passages. It will also become clear that idolatry is something a little more than merely the worship of a false god. Jeremiah 3, verses 8 and 9. And I saw, when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away, and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. So we see that adultery and playing the harlot are equated. And it came to pass, through the lightness of her whoredom, that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and stocks. The word whoredom is zenuth, and it's defined by strong as fornication or holotry. The phrase played the harlot is from a related term, zana, to commit fornication, to be a harlot, play the harlot, and we'll study these words a little more deeply a little later on. Zana also means to be a cult prostitute. 
metaphorically, to be unfaithful to God, figuratively. Pray to harlot, to cause to commit adultery, to force into prostitution, or to commit fornication. So we see adultery in Jeremiah 3, 8, and 9 is basically equated with all of these things. There's a paper on my website, org, entitled Broken Cisterns, and it has two parts. In the first part, it is fully demonstrated that the ancient pagan religions, much like modern ones, had nothing to do with spirituality, especially this phony New Age spirituality, as Judeo-Christians perceive such today. But rather, those pagan religions had everything to do with sex, and indeed, sex with absolutely anyone. I can't quote this paper fully, since the topic consumes all 2,700 plus words of part one alone, but I'll give a synopsis here. Herodotus writes about bow worship, that the temples had a high, Herodotus, I'm sorry, Herodotus wrote about 450 B.C., about the same time as Ezra and Nehemiah, give or take a couple of years. He writes about Baal worship, and he writes that the temples of Baal had a high chamber which contained little but a couch, a chamber meaning a room, and each night a woman was chosen from among the natives who thought that she was going to couple with the god, which usually turned out to be some Baal priest or someone who paid the Baal priest. Tertullian, the ancient Christian writer about the, the turn of the 2nd to 3rd century AD, 200 AD, he supports Herodotus' account independently, as do other ancient writers. So we see that Baal worship is about sex. It's centered around sex. Each night, a woman from the town was put into this chamber. She was chosen by the priest. Somebody would pay the priest, a male, or the priest himself would enter into that chamber at night and have relations with that woman. The woman, women usually thought that they were having relations with the God himself. Herodotus also describes the worship of Ashtaroth, who is also called Astarte, known to the Greeks as Aphrodite, to the Babylonians as Ishtar, to the Jews as Esther, but I won't go there, but to the Assyrians as Mylita. In Babylon, every native woman was compelled to visit the Temple of Ishtar, at least once in her adult lifetime. Some of them did it much more often. And she sat in the temple until she gets an opportunity to sleep with the first man who throws any amount of money in her lap. And by law, the man cannot be refused. Drabo corroborates this story, which Herodotus tells, 
as does the Epistle of Jeremy in the Apocrypha, which is also known as Baruch or Baruch, chapter 5. Throughout Greek literature, all of the pagan cultures said to have engaged in cult prostitution, usually for the benefit of the temple. And often, slaves who worked as prostitutes were owned by the temples and turned their earnings into the temple. The worship of Baal, or Bel, also known as Adonis in later times, the worship of Astarte, or Aphrodite, the worship of Bacchus, who is also called Dionysius, the worship of Pan and the Satyrs. And all of these cults, none of them are original with the Greeks. Adonis, Aphrodite, Dionysius, the Satyrs, they can all be traced back to Palestine. Or Mesopotamia. The worship of these and many other cults all had to do with sex. They had to do nothing with anything that we could consider noble worship. They only had to do with the worship of the act of sex. Paganism is the worship of the flesh, period. Any Christian writer who claims anything else for any of these ancient pagan religions is an outright liar. All of this is well documented in the classics. Jeremiah 7.9 Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom ye know not? Once we realize that the pagan religions, and especially Baal worship, are all about sex, it is clear to see that pagan worship necessarily includes race mixing. Therefore, we can understand in the context the message of Malachi 2.11, where it says, Judah has dealt treacherously. And an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the holiness of Yahweh, who he loved, and has married the daughter of a strange god. Judah married a Canaanite woman, someone of another race. That's why she's called the daughter of a strange god. That's why race mixing is equated with idolatry. Jeremiah 5.7 How shall I pardon thee for this? Thy children have forsaken me, and sworn by them who were no gods. When I had fed them to the full, they then committed adultery, and assembled themselves by troops in the harlot's houses. Jeremiah 23.14 I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers, that none do return from his wickedness. 
They are all of them unto me as Sodom, and the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. Adultery is strengthening the hands of evildoers, most likely because it increases the number of evildoers. Ezekiel 23, verses 36 to 45. Yahweh said moreover unto me, Son of man, wilt thou judge Ahoah and Aholibah, which were metaphorical terms in this passage for Judah and Israel. Yeah, declare unto them their abominations, that they have committed adultery, and blood is on their hands, and with their idols they have committed adultery, and have also caused their sons, whom they bear unto me, to pass for them through the fire, to devour them. That is not only describing abortion. It is also describing what happens when your sons marry those of other races, or die in foreign wars. Moreover, this they have done unto me. They have defiled my sanctuary in the same day, and have profaned my Sabbaths. For when they had slain their children to their idols, then they came the same day into my sanctuary to profane it. And lo, thus they have done in the midst of mine house. And furthermore, that ye have sent for men to come from afar, men to come from afar, unto whom a messenger was sent, and lo, they came, for whom thou did wash thyself, paint thy eyes, and deck thyself with ornaments, and sat thyself upon a stately bed, and a table prepared before it, whereupon thou hast set mine incense and mine oil, and the voice of a multitude being at ease was with her, meaning Israel, and with the men of the common sort were brought Sabians from the wilderness, who put bracelets on her hands and beautiful crowns upon her heads. Then said I unto her that was old in adulteries, Will they now commit whoredoms with her, and she with them? Yet they went in unto, they went in unto her, as they go in unto a woman that plays the harlot. So went they in unto Aholbah, Israel, and unto Aholibah, Judah, the lewd women. And the righteous men, they shall judge them after the manner of adulteresses, and after the manner of women that shed blood, because they are adulteresses, and blood is on their hands. Here Ezekiel has portrayed a clear example of idolatry, adultery, whoredom, harlotry, and lewdness with men of another race. In this case, the Sabians. This cannot be spiritualized. This cannot be reduced to false worship of a false god, as the Judeo-Christians like to assert. It simply can't be done. This is clearly all about sex. Or why would it involve foreign men who dress themselves up in nice clothes? Hosea 2.2 Plead with your mother. Plead, for she is not my wife. Neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. 
Hosea 4.2, by swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out. And blood touches blood. What does that mean? I've demonstrated in another paper on Christogenia, translating John 1.11 through 13, it's called, that the Hebrew word for blood in Hosea 4.2 is both times in the plural, and it denotes blood mingling with blood, and is to be properly understood just as Brenton Septuagint, the translation of the Greek scriptures into English by Sir Francis Brenton, reads the end of this verse. And adultery abounds in the land, and they mingle blood with blood. Here, adultery is clearly a reference to race mixing. Hosea 4.13 They sacrifice upon the tops of the mountains, and burn incense upon the hills, under oaks and poplars and elms, because the shadow thereof is good. Therefore your daughters shall commit whoredom, and your spouses shall commit adultery. That's important. I will not punish your daughters when they commit whoredom, or your spouses when they commit adultery. For they themselves are separated with whores, and they sacrifice with harlots. Therefore the people that do not understand shall fall. Sounds like today. How can unmarried daughters commit whoredom and not adultery while married women are doing the same thing and it's called adultery and not whoredom? Let us first prove that in the eyes of God, in the ancient Hebrew world, marriage happens with sexual intercourse and not at an altar. We can prove this simply by reading parts of Genesis chapter 29. I'll read Genesis. I'll read the whole thing. I'll read Genesis um, Genesis 29, 16 to 31. From the King James. And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah. And the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed unto him but a few days. For, he had, for the love that he had to her. And Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for the days are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. He didn't call for the justice of the peace. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah his daughter and brought her to him. And he he meaning Jacob, went in unto her. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah 
Zilpa, his hand, his maid for a handmaid. That that's an auxiliary statement. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah, where Jacob had expected Rachel. And he said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And Laban said, It must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her wheat, and we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet another seven years. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, and he gave him Rachel his daughter to wife also. And Laban gave to Rachel his daughter Bilhah for his handmaid to be her maid. And Jacob went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet another seven years. And when Yahweh saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Here we see that Jacob was stuck. He was stuck because as soon as he had intercourse with Leah, they were married. Jacob realized that. He couldn't say, I'm not going to have her. He kept her because he realized that because he had sex with her, they were married. Laban knew that too, and that is why he tricked Jacob in that manner. If Jacob's having intercourse is not marriage, then why was Jacob stuck with Leah? Anyone who disputes this is simply deceiving himself, and himself is stuck in the deceit of false Romish church teachings. Marriage happens in bed. For that reason, we see in Exodus 22.16, And if a man entice a maid that is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall surely endow her to be his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money according to the dowry of virgins. This is done because if the father will not give the seducer his daughter for a wife, that's fine. But the father is then stuck with that daughter because nobody else can lawfully take her to wife. Or it's adultery. Now we can read Hosea 4.13 to 14 again. They sacrifice upon the tops of the mountains and burn incense upon the hills, under oaks and poplars and elms. This sounds like Odinism. Because the shadow thereof is good. Therefore your daughters shall commit whoredom, and your spouses shall commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they commit whoredom, nor your spouses when they commit adultery. For themselves are separated with whores, and they sacrifice with harlots. Therefore the people that do not understand shall fall. Now if lawful marriage happens upon intercourse, as it's just been demonstrated from Genesis chapter 29, how can unmarried daughters commit whoredom and not adultery, while married women are doing the same thing, and it's called adultery and not whoredom? Only because Hosea is actually describing sexual acts with those of other races. 
Otherwise, the acts of the daughters would not be whoredom. They would be acts of marriage, at least initially, and fall under the law given in Exodus 22.16, which we have just read. The spouses may be committing fornication and adultery, but apparently it's adultery first. And, and there's reasons for that. The first commitment is, is to her husband. Yet the following verse shall show even further that very often in context, adultery is the same as whoredom or fornication. Ezekiel 16, 32-33. But as a wife that commits adultery, which takes strangers instead of her husband, they give gifts to all whores, but thou givest gifts to all thy lovers and hire them, that they may come unto thee on every side for thy whoredom. So we see adultery and whoredom or fornication. Waited. Jeremiah thirteen twenty seven. I have seen thine adulteries and thy neighing the lewdness of thy whoredom, and thine abominations on the hills in the fields. Woe unto thee, O Jerusalem! Wilt thou not be made clean? When shall it once be? Pagan nature, nature worship is the act of having sex outdoors like animals, and adultery and the lewdness of thy whoredom are equated. Now, we have clearly seen that the word adultery is used primarily to describe the violation of the sanctity of marriage between a man and a wife, but it is just as often used to describe the violation of the allegiance to Yahweh, our God, that is also called idolatry and whoredom and fornication. Here is the explanation of the source of all confusion concerning these words and why they are often distinguished in Scripture, yet often they are equated. Mainstream sects and all of those religions, the Catholic, the Baptist, the Lutheran, are nothing more than sects. Mainstream sects and their commentators fail to recognize that all ancient pagan religions required universal sexual acts, which also includes the compulsion to mix with those of other races, the mingling of bloods with bloods, as we've seen described in Hosea chapter 4. The violation of the sanctity of marriage between a man and a wife is indeed adultery. However, an Israelite's violation of the covenant with Yahweh is also adultery because we are all married to him as a nation. Therefore, since he knows no other people, Amos 3.2, and when we join ourselves to other people, we commit not only fornication, but we also commit adultery as a violation of our covenant marriage with Yahweh. Neither can Yahweh join himself to any other people of Israel, or he himself 
would be committing adultery. This is proven in the words of our Savior, found in Luke 16, 16 to 18. Quote, The law and the prophets were until John, since, meaning the Baptist. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presses into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. Whoever puts away his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whosoever marries her that is put away from her husband commits adultery. Here, over a, over a span of two sentences, Yahshua Christ is not changing the topic. Rather, he is telling us that although these non-Israelites, as we know from history and from Scripture, that the Edomites and, and other people, Canaanites, forced their way into the kingdom of Judea at that time. Although these non-Israelites are forcing their way into the kingdom, as they're also doing today, they will not be invited to his wedding. They will not be joined to his covenant which is only for the genetic children of Israel. If Christ marries any other people who are not of Israel, he admits here that that would be an act of adultery. The other races, the idea that the other races can be joined to our God in that covenant is paramount to accusing God of committing adultery. So with these words, our interpretation here is true, and we too must marry only white Israelites, or we shall also be found committing adultery against God. And also, as we shall see, we shall be committing fornication. This is how it is said in Malachi chapter 2. That Judah, because he married a Canaanite woman, had married the daughter of a strange god. But Esau, who also married Canaanite women, Paul in Hebrews 12.16 calls a fornicator or profane person. Therefore, in context where a man's perspective is involved, fornication and adultery are two entirely different things. Also, discussing men, adultery and idolatry are distinguished, by which it is shown that adultery or fornication are not really idolatry, as so many fools in the mainstream sects insist. Examples of this are found in Matthew, in Romans, and in Galatians. Matthew fifteen nineteen to 20 For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. So we see adultery and fornication distinguished. Galatians five nineteen to 20 Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, so on. 
we see adultery, fornication, and idolatry all distinguished. Fornication is not idolatry. And from a man's perspective, not from God's, fornication is not adultery. When we talk about our relationship with God, as all of these verses I've cited will show, when we commit fornication, we're committing adultery against God. Romans 2.22 Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest, abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Here we see adultery and idol worship distinguished. Yet it can also be shown that from Yahweh our God's perspectives, from his perspective, looking at Israel as the nation, as his bride, fornication is indeed also adultery, since our intermingling with the other races is a violation of the sanctity of our marriage vows to him where we were commanded to be a separate people. This will be made evident here from Revelation 2, verses 21 through 23. And then from a discussion of what is called the way of Balaam. Revelation 21, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 2, verses 21 through 23, from the King James, I think. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a, into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Except they repent of their deeds, and I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Here, fornication is adultery because fornication is race mixing. And race mixing is a violation of the covenant, which insists in both the Old and the New Testament, as Peter tells us, that Israel be a separate people. The way of Balaam. While the story of Balaam's hire by Balak, the king of Moab, to curse Israel, and Yahweh's making sure that while Balaam indeed tried, all he could do was, could manage to do was to bless Israel, is told in the book of Joshua, starting with, um, I'm, I'm confused, chapter 24. It is also evident that many scriptures of the book of Joshua do not present the entire story. And I'm sorry, this is this should be the book of Numbers. I think I made a major error here. It's the book of Numbers. I apologize. Not Joshua. Numbers 24, 9 to 10. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel and sent and called Balaam the son of Beor to curse you. I'm sorry, this is Joshua, but it's talking about an event that happened in Numbers. 
Yes, it is. I really screwed up. The event begins in Numbers chapter 22 and culminates in Numbers chapter 24. Joshua 24, 9 and 10 recall the event of the book of Numbers. Joshua 24, 9 to 10. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, who was a prophet, to curse you, meaning Israel. But Yahweh would not hearken unto Balaam. Therefore, he blessed you still. So I, meaning Yahweh, delivered you out of his hand. Now, if we go read the account in Numbers, and we go read the account in Joshua 24 that recalls the events in Numbers, we don't see the whole story. And from the scripture I'm about to read, we will find that because Balaam could not curse the children of Israel, as Balak had hired him to do, for Yahweh would not permit it, as we see in Joshua 24. Rather, Balaam counseled Balak to have the children of Israel race mix, to send the daughters of Moab, the women of his tribe, out to the, the Israelites and to seduce them. And I'm going to quote about six scriptures here that, that demonstrate that. Nehemiah 13, 1-2. On the day that they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people, and therein was found that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever. Because they met not the children of Israel with bread and water, but Balaam, but hired Balaam against them that he should curse them. Howbeit, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So Balaam's curses failed. Micah 6 5. O my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Shittim to Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of Yahweh. 1 Peter 2, 14-15 Having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Jude 1.11 Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. We'll see that in other words, that means they all race mixed. Revelation 2.14 But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit 
fornication. 1 Corinthians 10, 7 and 8. Neither be idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day twenty and three thousand, three and twenty thousand. Paul is making a direct allusion to what happened in Numbers chapter 25, where 24 and 25, where after Balaam counseled Balak to have his the women of his tribe seduce the Israelites. And the Old Testament only says that they joined themselves under Baal Peor and to the daughters of Moab. 23,000 or 24,000 in the Old Testament people fell in one day. We see the book of Revelation calls it fornication. We see Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 calls the same thing fornication. So here it is fully evident that the joining of Israel to Baal Peor was sexual in every way. Just like it's evident in Numbers chapters 25 and 26, one or the other, I forget, with with the story of Phineas and the chief of the tribe of Simeon. And Phineas ran a spear through two people at the same time. And the only way he could have done that is if they were coupled on the floor. Now it's time for some word study. The Old Testament word for adultery throughout these passages were all translated from the same group of very close words, closely related words, directly related words. The first and most common is Strong's number 5003, naath, to commit adultery. And that's spelled N-A apostrophe A-P-H. To commit adultery usually of man, always with wife of another. That's their interpretation. Idolatrous worship. That's their interpretation. To commit adultery of women. 5004. Niuf. Adultery or figuratively idolatrous worship. Again, that's the lexicographer's interpretation. 5005, Naafuf, adultery. Most of the occurrences of adultery in the Old Testament come from 5003, Naaf. The New Testament word, words translated adultery, all came, all also came from a closely related group of Greek words. 3429, moikao, to have unlawful intercourse with another's wife to commit adultery. 3430, moikaya, adultery. 3431, moikuo, another verb to commit adultery or to be an adulterer. And 3428, moikalis, which is an adulteress. All of these Greek words find their root in the same Greek word, moikos. Now, I myself, searching for an explanation in haste, have often said that the word moikos means something mixed. And, and that's not really correct. Moikos is actually a noun that means an adulterer. 
However, in turn, moikis finds its word root in a Greek verb, magnumi, which means to mix. Strabo, the Greek writer, clearly uses moikis twice in his writings of race mixers. In Geography, Book 16, Section 4, Paragraph 25, where he states of certain tribes that the penalty for an adulterer is death. But among them, only the person of the other race is considered the adulterer. So we see that Strabo clearly uses that word adulterer to mean not somebody who's having sex with another's wife, but to mean a race mixer. The verb magnumi, which means to mix, is also used as sexual intercourse often in Greek. And I have examples in Pindar's Pythian Odes 314, or in the Elegaic Poetry of Theogony in lines 193 to 183 to 192, where he complains that for the sake of money, women would marry a base man and pass on an, an, and pass up on a noble man. Theodorus Siculus uses an adjective of mignumi, megas, to describe slaves of mixed blood. So we see the idea very often in, in Greek writers. But now returning to the Hebrew, nayas, most often translated adultery in the Old Testament. And the words related to it are also very similar. And I would assert that they are even related to another group of words, which are represented by Strong's numbers 4998 and 4999. A verb and a noun. These words are both pronounced ne'ah, N-A apostrophe A-H. And that word means to be at home or as a verb or a home as a noun or figuratively a pasture. So here it is evident, to me anyway, that a ne'ah, N-A apostrophe A-H, is a home and a ne'af. And a apostrophe, a PH is a violation of that home, and therefore it came to mean adultery. The common Hebrew words for fornication or harlotry are Strong's numbers 2181, Zana, which is defined by Strong to commit adultery. But yet, in the King James, throughout the King James, it's, it's translated whoredom or fornication or harlotry. A derivative word, 8457, Kaznuth, is also translated in that manner. However, these words are, are linguistically connected. Kazanath being a derivative of Zana. Yet these words are translated in the King James never as adultery, but as harlotry or whoredom. And this is interesting because the word zana 
which is translated harlotry or whoredom in the King James, comes from another word found, the verb is found, and, and the noun respectively are found at Strong's numbers 2177 and 2178, and both are spelled zan, Z-A-N. Zan means a form, a sort, or a kind. Other words related to Zan, found at Strong's numbers 2183, 2184, and 2185, all mean to commit adultery or harlotry. So while all of the Old Testament occurrences of the word adultery in the King James Version come from the word naaf, Zana is also related by Strong to both the idea of adultery and the idea of kind or sort, which of people can only mean a race to us. All of the connotations of the definitions of the various words related to Zana would require a separate study much deeper than I can offer in this one program tonight. But if Zan means a kind or a sort, and Zana means harlotry or adultery, it's actually telling us that it means a violation of that kind or that sort. That does merit a separate study. Now, I have reason to believe that this word na'ah, N-A apostrophe A-H, which means a home, is also the ultimate root of the Latin word natio, a tribe, a nation, the word that we get nation from in English, or a race. I also believe that this is the ultimate root of the English word near, for which the Old English is neah, N-E-A-H, which is almost exactly like the Hebrew word neah for home, from which we also get nigh and then neighbor. And this leads me to discuss that word neighbor at length. Sorry to bore you. The details have to be covered. The Greek word translated neighbor is usually from the adjective with the article ton plasion, which literally means one who is near and nothing else. Yet by itself, it really does not distinguish between relationship and geographical proximity. But the Hebrew does. And we're going to find this out. And so does the context of Scripture, where the word tom placion, one who is near, is often found. Here I'm going to quote from something I wrote a long time ago. Appendix C of the annotated version of my Paul translation. Quote, the nominative form placius which is both an adverb and a preposition, means near, close to, Liddell and Scott. And itself is a derivative of the adverb pellis, which is near, hard by, or close. 
either word, pelis or plesios, used as a substantive, was used in ancient Greek writing to denote one's neighbor. And Little and Scott give examples of this from secular writers who used either hoplesios or hopelis. Yet in secular Greek, there are other words used by contemporary authors and also in the New Testament. And those other words are also translated neighbor. They are diton, Strong's number 1069, which is explicitly one of the same land or a neighbor, geographical proximity, and it's found at Luke 14, 12, 15, 6, 15, 9, and John 9, 8. Another word, perioikos, Strong's number 4040, which means dwelling around, living nearby, is translated neighbors at Luke 158. While it can surely be demonstrated from the history books that in Palestine, and throughout the Greco-Roman world, one's neighbor was most often and was expected to be of one's own tribe. That this is the true meaning of tone placion in the New Testament is evident in other ways, besides the use of gaitone or perioikos, meaning somebody in geographic proximity, wherever it was appropriate. In other words, I'm saying it can be proven from the context of the New Testament that the word most often translated neighbor, which is tone placion, really means somebody who's close to you in relationship, not in geography. To do so, at Acts 7.27, an account of Exodus 2, verses 11.14 one Israelite is referred to as tone placion, neighbor in the King James, in relation to another Israelite, but not in relation to the dead Egyptian which Moses killed. Yet Moses, as evidenced in the Exodus account, could not have known that these two Israelites lived in proximity to one another, as we understand the term neighbor. He only could have known from their dress in ancient Egypt that the two men had a tribal relationship. Now, some may think this is conjectural, but it's certainly the circumstance. Again, at Matthew 5.43, Yahshua Christ is credited with the words, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. What meaning would that saying have? if one's enemy lived in the house next door. Here it should be evident that tone placion is one near to you, but not necessarily in geographical proximity. Rather, tone placion is one near to you in relationship. The Hebrew word in the original which is found in Leviticus 19.18, is Strong's Hebrew number 
7453, which Strong's defines, quote, from 7462, an associate, more or less close. And Strong's lists the King James translations of the word, brother, companion, fellow, friend, husband, lover, neighbor. So it should be certainly evident that Tone Placion is not simply one who lives in geographical proximity to you. Let's examine the root of 7453, which is Strong's number 7462. And this word is defined by Strong, quote, a primitive root to tend a flock, to pasture it, to graze, generally to rule by extension. I'm sorry, generally to rule and by extension to associate with. And so it seems to me that one's placion can really only be a fellow sheep. Seventy-four fifty-three is Rea, and seven. It comes from seventy-four sixty-two, and seventy-four sixty-two really means to tend a flock, to graze. So if your neighbor is grazing with you, he must be a fellow sheep. There's not much way around that. And, and they're the original meanings of the Hebrew words translated neighbor. Most often, there's a couple of other Hebrew words translated neighbor. But most often it comes from 7453. So if we see that if one is of your flock, he's a neighbor. If one is not of your flock, he can't be a neighbor. Moses didn't know that where that Egyptian lived that he killed. A wolf who moves into the sheepfold can never be a sheep. The word neah means a home, and the word neaf, or adultery, is an intrusion upon one's home. However, in addition, since all the members of the flock are your brethren, if you have relations with someone who is not of the flock, you are a fornicator to men, but also an adulterer to Yahweh, violating the terms of his covenant which he made with the flock. Harlotry or whoredom are described in the Greek with the words pornaya and porne, which are nouns, and pornuo, which is a verb. These describe fornication or prostitution. Fornication describes any and all forms of illicit or unlawful sexual act. The act of race mixing is among these. And that is substantiated not only by Paul's use of the word, as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul uses the word fornication 
to explain why Yahweh slew 23,000 Israelites after they joined themselves to the daughters of Moab. Paul called that fornication in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And it's also called fornication, as we've seen above, in Revelations chapter 2, speaking of the same incident, Revelations 2.14. So we see fornication is clearly race mixing in Scripture. But also we see it in Jude 7, where fornication is clearly described as the pursuit of strange or different, because that's what that Greek word heteros really means, flesh. So we have three witnesses in Scripture in the New Testament that fornication is race mixing. But concerning the covenant with Yahweh, as we've seen from many passages here in the Old Testament, adultery is also race mixing. Even though another form of adultery is the confusion or mixing of the bloodline by sleeping around within your tribe, by sleeping with other men's wives. And the apostles understood this confusion concerning adultery in the Ten Commandments in the Greek mind. And therefore, in Acts chapter 15, they added a commandment to the assemblies not to commit fornication. They did this because it's not mentioned in the Ten Commandments. And they did it to ensure the understanding that race mixing was forbidden among Christians. That's why they added the commandment, not to commit fornication. Which Revelations 2, Jude 7, and 1 Corinthians chapter 10 all attest to is race mixing. So we have three witnesses. Among both Greek and Hebrews, the idea of fornication included not only prostitution, but of having sex with different flesh, meaning marriages with other races. Interestingly, that word Zana that means, and, and this is an aside, that word Zana that means um, fornication in the Old Testament, there's a related word that doesn't appear in the Old Testament, and it's considered it's called zona, and it means to sell in trade. And, and it means to be a retailer or, or a, um, a, a, an innkeeper. And Clifton spoke about that at length in a teaching letter concerning Rahab, the so-called harlot. And it could be demonstrated that the apostles, who called her a harlot, following the Septuagint, may well have not had harlot on their minds, because the Greek word porne comes from a verb which also means to sell and trade. 
And the apostles very well may have had the word innkeeper on their minds when they wrote porne, because the Hebrew word zona, which is very close to and related to the Hebrew word zana, means to sell and trade, which is why zana is used of prostitution, of selling one's own body and trade. The children of Israel committed fornication and sold themselves into sin. They sold themselves in prostitution, which is centered around trade. And if you look at Mystery Babylon, we sell ourselves out to the enemy through trade all the time. That's why Israel is the whore. We're figurative whores. We're not literal whores. Not all of us, anyway. We're figurative whores every time we deal with the enemy. Every time we go to Walmart. I don't know what else I could I, I could um, talk about in the next 20 minutes. I, I thought I'd get more out of this presentation than, than an hour and 10 minutes, I'm being honest with you. I can never judge how much material I'm going to need to do a program. I'm terrible with that. I don't I don't know why after a year and a half of doing this I still don't quite have it. I I take some questions if anybody has any questions. I had a couple of other current events to talk about, but um I'm going to be honest and and they've kind of slipped my mind right now. I'm I'm brain dead. The bottom line is adultery can be race-mixing, and especially in the Old Testament, but fornication is definitely race-mixing, too. Okay, Pilgrim's going to bail me out of my doldrums, right? Hello, Pilgrim. Oh, Pilgrim's ignoring me. <laughs> she doesn't want to talk to me. She's on the call and she don't want to talk. That's okay. Any oh, there questions? I am. I'm unmuted. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I'm just looking for questions because um because I have 20 minutes left of this program. It's usually an hour and a half, and and um I thought I would go over and I didn't. I don't know. I tried to take my time. Yeah, I, I, really I try to go over. Yeah, it's it's hard to gauge. I, I'm, I'm sure I uh, wouldn't want to have to do it. No, it's a great uh, it's a great presentation. You got a lot of meat there that I'm going to have to, you know, listen and you start covering all of these Greek things and history and all of these details. I definitely have to go back and listen a few times and rewind and. Uh, well, redo. I could have filled more details in if I thought if I thought I. If I thought I was going to fall short, I really thought it would be an hour and 45-minute program. Well, it's a good subject because it's obviously uh, one where there's a lot of confusion. uh, Well, well, yes, but I think that the confusion stems from people not discerning between man's relationship with man and alien and man's relationship with God. In in our relationship with God – when we go outside of our race, we're committing adultery against Yahweh. We're committing adultery against 
Well, I think it takes you back. the marriage covenant. You know, these are things that people here kind of take for granted or, or have forgotten that out there the vast majority of what's calling itself some form of Christian, not only do they only think in terms of adultery as being cheating on one's spouse, um, most of them out there don't understand the correlation because they don't even know about the whole marriage relationship in the Old Testament. They don't know what that they don't know what that is uh, about Yahweh and Israel and, and the divorce and the need for him to uh, offer himself on the cross to reconcile and all of those things are 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 equally as foreign to them as the concept of uh, uh, race mixing being wrong. That's how watered down and and screwy it's become. Well, well, right. It is watered down and screwy, but it's it's there's three witnesses in the um in, in the New Testament that fornication is race mixing. Oh yeah, it's 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 certainly there, but since most people just sit in a pew and take whatever is sort of aimed their way, they don't really question it that closely, you know, or or, or wonder when they come across those passages. Right. Yes, it's a shame. They they don't come across those passages because they don't read that the yeah. um yeah I I don't think you'll ever see Jude seven in one of those daily little devotional books. Oh no, and and you'll never see one Corinthians ten eight in one of those daily little devotional books. Scripture of the day: fornication is the pursuit of strange flesh. <laughs> that's, that's never going to make the daily scripture calendar it's not going to happen <laughs> no no someone might start asking questions <laughs> there's a um, I think there's another caller that um, somebody was told me about I'm, I'm hesitant about taking calls from people I don't think I know but hello Linda hello um I enjoyed your program of listening. Um, here is a grandmother. I'm 65. Um, got raped when I was real young by a Jew. <laughs> Married for 20 years, okay? Um, tried very hard to get my husband to be my friend, okay? Uh, but he left me because he was born of the called um, and called adultery for somebody else. The point am I getting is that the wedding bed from the beginning of time in Genesis, kind Uh-oh. after kind, was a holy, holy by Yahweh, God, commitment. So when you have sex with any woman, you become married. Well, absolutely. Married. If she's not a virgin, you're with somebody else's wife. Yes, exactly. And I was a virgin. And um, I have never, and when you divorce your wife and di- divorce and remarry, it's called defiling, it's called adultery. That means you're going after strange flesh. So if you choose a woman out of your race, out of your bloodline, doesn't matter. The law is still the same. 
you are married to her. So. Well, well right. Adam, Judah, Judah married the daughter of a strange god, but that doesn't make yeah, it right. Yeah, well, that doesn't make well, it right. Well, that's, that's right. It doesn't make it right. But that's, you see, from the beginning, from the Garden of Eden, man, even, even Adam and Eve did not obey. And Adam had responsibility, had all the powers in the heavenly universe above all the fallen angels, all of them, to stop anyone, any man, any being to invade his garden and seduce his wife. Well, and that's really... That's really what it's all about. It's called, it's about obeying your Lord thy God and his commandments, kind after kind. And when we, Israel Jacob, and I'm very much Israel Jacob. I'm Irish, Dutch, and Flemish bloodline. I married a man that was adopted off the black market in Chicago in 1940, who was an Ashkenazi Jew, but he was an Orthodox Jew. He so how did you what? find out that... that, that what well, well, I'm talking thing. about is the law. No, no the I'm law. just curious when you came to realize all of this, that's all. When in well, your life did you come to realize all of this? That's, I'm, I'm well, let's put it question. this way. I realized it five years into my marriage because he tried... I basically wanted to convert because I raised my children as Jews. But I would not go through conversion. He wouldn't come and go through conversion with me, and I realized what was going on. I would never deny the flesh and the glory of the kingdom, who is Yahweh, God of glory. He created this universe. His will will be done. He sets standards. So if you divorce and remarry, you're committing adultery. I don't care who you marry, whether another woman from another race, any woman, you are committing adultery. And if you decide to divorce your wife and marry a man, this is why the judgments are here. We're in the siege. This is what's happening. We allow, just like the time of Noah. Is well, happening. absolutely, that's totally agreeable. Exactly. Well, that's what I'm saying. But you see, man has always put it on woman. Well, what I'm saying is that man, God made man. Well, well you may know some men that always put it on What women, I'm but, saying uh, is, this man will admit real quick that men sin all the time. No, right? I'm saying in general, it's not against you. Man is over woman and he is the responsibility and he had the responsibility in the garden of eden adam to stop what was happening now adam had set eve had sex with samuel the point the poison of god the fallen one who inhabited a black being a beast from genesis 1 okay and he brought in his little Whore called Lilith. Now, you need to research that one because... Well, well no, I don't need to research it because I know the story probably as good as... Well, you. that's really what it's all about in 
Lewis, who she called on God. She didn't call on God. She called on Lucifer, Samuel, the poison of God. So Adam has always had the responsibility, and we're still in this place that I, I'm saying this as a friend. I'm not condemning you guys. I'm trying to open up your eyes and your mind and your soul to the truth. Repent. You have to repent and get back and understand that that's who creates us. This is why this is happening. Half the world right now, and by the way, the well, oil, like preaching to the, the choir oil, because, I mean, the, the oil happened, oil stopped. By the, did you know that the oil erupted in Michigan? Did you know that oil has erupted in China, in their oceans? Who would do that? Where did you get not, that information? I'm curious. Well, it's because you're not going to ever get it in the worldwide news. <laughs> and the poor little church that like preaches the real like. truth gets persecuted. But anyway, I love you all, but remember, repentance is what it's all about. Yahweh wants us to repent and depend on him totally Totally get back in the scriptures and figure that one out. Yeah, the Jews are the Satan seed line. Very good. That's exactly what they are. But they're, you know, there might be a few in them that can be saved. It's all in your heart. The well, well, if, no, if, if they're, um, if they've been adopted a few years ago, maybe or a generation or two ago. Well, I don't only know. the children of Israel can be saved. I mean, and the pure descendants of Adam. Yeah. So, um, uh, I mean, sheep or sheep and goats or goats. There's only two races in the world: sheep and goats, right? Uh, I mean, there might yeah. be a few confused Jews that are really sheep and don't know it. Well, that's well, Esau, Jacob, Esau, I hated Jacob, I loved when in the womb. In the womb. Well, well, right, because Esau, because Yahweh foresaw that Esau would be in a, uh, a fornicator. He knew that. E- uh, Esau, I mean, we Esau, have free will, but God can't help but know which Esau way we're going to go. Fornicated with the Edomites, Hittites. Well, well, that's my point. We have free will, but right? it's, and it's God being double. God can't help which way, no. but know well, ahead of time what path li- we're going to choose. Listen to me. We don't have free will, and that's what we need to we realize. We don't have free will. No, we really don't. No. <laughs> oh, we have free will. And that's the whole issue. If we don't and have free will, then you're blaming Yahweh for our mistakes. You're blaming God. No, I'm that's, not blaming not God. It. It's predestined. It's your choice to choose and to repent. See that? You just said we had free will. It's your choice to choose, right? You could choose to repent. God well, knows he, which way each of us And if go. Yahweh, the Yahweh, Yahweh, I don't call him Yahweh. Well, Yahweh. well you know something? I'm going to be honest with you, Linda. The, whether the W or the V was pronounced like a W or a V is arguable, which is why I haven't confronted you on that, because I know that we really don't know. And But Lois did, didn't she? And that's what they're preaching, are they not? I'm talking about the pronunciation of words. Right. You understand how the power that the fallen one has, is, and this is who's ruling the world. Okay, Linda, I'm going to cut it off here. Thank you. All right, bye. The program here. Goodbye.
I don't think we were speaking to each other. I think we were speaking at each other. But that's okay. Well, well, yeah, let me explain that. In Latin and in Hebrew, the U and the V are interchangeable. Okay? And whether it was Yahweh or if at any time it was ever Yahweh, nobody can prove. Because even if you look in Strong's concordance at the alphabet at the beginning of the Hebrew Chaldee lexicon, you'll see that the Wa, a letter called W-A-W, and the Vav or V-A-V are interchangeable. And the same is true in Latin. It's argued amongst Latin scholars whether Caesar crossed the Rubicon and said, Veni, Vidi, Vici, or did he say, Veni, Vidi, Vici? And, and nobody can prove either way because none of us have the MP3. That's just the way it is. We don't have the tape. So we could fight about it all day, but we're not going to get anywhere. Okay. Um, this is Yahweh's Covenant people, and William Fink, Eli will be back next week, of course, and we're going to finish, I hope, our year-and-a-half-long series on Paul next week. Eli will be here on The Voice of Christian Israel tomorrow. Thank you all. May Yahweh bless you. Good night.